I'm going to do that. I'm absolutely going to win an Academy Award. Just, I just told myself flat out. I said, I don't know when, but I'm going to do that. Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Rookies. My name is Mike Battle, a film production junior working for studios in London. Each episode, I bring you advice and stories from film, TV and content professionals to help demystify and democratize the industries for juniors and fans alike. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Today's guest is Oscar-winning makeup designer Bill Corso. With a passion for makeup and prosthetics from an early age, Bill has risen to become one of Hollywood's go-to designers. With three Oscar nominations, winning for Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, three Emmy wins, and enduring relationships as personal makeup artist to Harrison Ford, Jim Carrey, and more, I can't think of a better person to be asking for advice on film industry makeup. He joins us now from LA. Bill, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm great, Mike. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. That's awesome. And thank you for being here. Now, I'd like to start with saying that lots of film industry people often fall into their career, but your journey into makeup was certainly no accident. Was there a moment that you knew that you were destined for what you do now? Well, um, I, I grew up in, in like Southern Florida, like as far removed from Hollywood as, as you can be, I guess, in the United States. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I was, I was the son of a plumber and a housewife and, you know, no ties to, to movies or art or Hollywood or, but, but for some reason I was, uh, from, from the earliest age before I can remember, um, I was artistic and my, I, you know, I would go to, my dad would bring me to work with him and he would dig a ditch. And, 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 you know, most kids would have been, you know, fun on the tractor and like, you know, operating, you know, and, and machinery and whatnot. And I, I would like get in the dirt and find clay in the ground and start making something in his truck. <laughs> uh, or I would, you know, find the glues and the plumber's putty and I would start, start, you know, like start putting things together. So he could see that I was like creative and, 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 uh, um, and, and what was great is he encouraged that he thought that that was really neat and that I should pursue that. And, uh, and, and, and a little bit into it, then I discovered that I really enjoyed, you know, I, I, I was fascinated by TV and I was like, I was a TV kid, you know, in the early seventies and, and, uh, but what I gravitated towards were, you know, things of, 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 you know, fantasy or, or, you know, the, the Sunday morning creature features that we always, we had here in America with all the old horror movies and everything. And, mm. and I, I really, I just started obsessing on all that stuff. And I, I later found out that that was, that's a common theme among a lot of guys who do, you know, guys and girls who do what I do, um, that we all were into that same stuff. when we were kids, we were monster kids, you know, and I, I just, I love that. And I really just took to it. And, and, and that coupled with the artistic side of me, I would, you know, I would draw and I would, I would try to make stuff, you know, and I would take, you know, clay, you know, and, you know, in school, you know, first grade, you've got like your little clay and you would, you know, your school projects. And I would, I would be sculpting some kind of a monster that I saw. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's how it started. I was just into it right out of the gate. That's really cool. What do you think that young 10-year-old Bill who was so interested in reading monster magazines would say to you now, given where you've ended up making, making real ones? Well, he honestly, it would be utter disbelief. <laughs> because back then it was, you know, it wasn't such a, it was this unattainable fantasy, you know, it was this weird thing that 
there was it only it only happened in this in this science fiction world of Hollywood and 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 mythical place of of making movies, right? You know, and my life couldn't have been more removed from that. So, you know, uh, you know, when I saw, you know, Planet of the Apes, and and if I, I would have known that I would one day work on a Planet of the Apes movie, when I when I you know I I went home after seeing the you know the 1976 King Kong, and I I remember turning my action figures into King Kong, you know, and I it's sculpting King Kong. And, you know, and then here I would be, you know, some 40 years later on the set of a King Kong movie. And, you know, and then, you know, for Christmas, you know, one of the greatest Christmas gifts I ever remember getting when I was 14, you know, was or 13, 14 was the Millennium Falcon, <laughs> you know, and I would sit there with the Millennium Falcon. I would put my action figures in it and, and you know, and, and, and act out all the, you know, Star Wars battles and you know, to one day walk on the real Millennium Falcon. And and so if I would have told that to my younger self or my younger self was, it's just, you, I wouldn't even be able to comprehend that. I mean, that, that would have been like, you know, saying like, well, I'm going to be, you know, president. I mean, or I'm going to rule the world. I mean, it's like, it's just fantasy, you know? So yeah, it's been amazing. And you can tell that from the way you talk about it, that, you know, it was your dream. Was there a moment when you were on a set or a memory of yours where you were like, wow, I am now really living my fantasy. I may, you mentioned the, the million Falcon. Are there any other that come to mind? Every time <laughs> for me, almost, I mean, I've, I'm one of the lucky ones. There are a few of us who, um, who are friends who, you know, we get to share these moments where we, we go, can you believe that? I mean, can you believe I got to do this? Or, you know, we call somebody that would appreciate it. And can you believe I worked with this actor? I mean, we're still fans, you know, and there's, and I do know it's sad to see people that have become disenchanted with the business. Cause there's, mm. there's a lot of that, you know, I mean, we're, we work in a business where it's, it can be brutal, you know, and, and uh, people can become very jaded and, and it's sad to see people that, you know, I, or they got into it a different way. You know, they weren't a fan, you know, they got into it because it was a job and it was a way for them to make money or they fell into it. You know, I know fellow makeup artists that were, you know, in, 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 they were going to be a sports star until they got hurt. And then they just fell into makeup or that, or, you know, they're old time. May I found out old, some old time famous makeup artists were like truck drivers wow. <laughs> and they, and they, you know, lost their job and somebody said, here, try this. And, you know, so just very strange you know, our business is full of so many types of people, but there's a, and, and I, and I, and what's fun for me is I find that my profession makeup and more specifically like special makeup and makeup effects and people that grew up loving monsters and, and coming from my background were such rabid fans of movies and of that type of work and that, that art that, um, we, we um, the most of us still have that enthusiasm for what we do. So, and, and to be able to share that enthusiasm with everybody, you know, that we work with, it's really neat. And, and what's nice is I've been told by actors and I've been told by filmmakers, um, you know, Steven Spielberg, you know, that they're, they, they still maintain that. And it's, and they, it's so refreshing to them to find another like-minded individual. And they, and actors have said, I really appreciate that you still love what you do and that you care, you know, and, um, and, you, and, you, and as the longer you go in this business, you'll find that there's a lot of, there's not a lot of that, you know? So when you see it, it's, it's great. That's fantastic. So for 
the equivalent of yourself out there now. I mean, the podcast listeners are going to be a little bit older than when you first found a love for creature effects and things. But what would you say to the young Bill Corsos of the world out there, male or female, that want to move to creating dreams the same way that you say that you do now and love it? What would you start again now? Would you follow into education in makeup? What would be your path be? It's it's interesting when you hear actors talking about, uh, you know, when they were young and the actors that didn't fall into it, but that were obsessed by acting, you know, and they, and they like, you know, you, you just act because you have to, you know, my daughter wants to be an actress. So I, I've told her, I go, you know, and, and this is my experience. It's like, you have no other choice, like that you will do this regardless. You know, it's your passion. It's, it's, you have a drive for it. It's your, you know, I considered it my destiny to do this. You know, I just, there was, there was no other option for me. Like if I didn't do what I do, I don't know. <laughs> I could hypothesize what I would have done had this not worked out, but, but go, starting from a young kid and, and, and to now I had no other, I literally was a straight line. Like I'm, I'm going to do this and I will do whatever it takes to do this. And I, so I would tell my younger self, just do, I mean, I, I would, I have no problem. You know, when I was a kid, I wouldn't have to give myself advice because I didn't need advice. I just was like, I was so focused on my prize, which was doing this for a living. I just knew it. I just knew I was going to do it no matter what it took. And I tell my daughter the same thing. I said, you have to, as an actor, you have to, you know, eat, drink, sleep, you know, breathe your passion, you know, and if you don't, it's, it's really hard to get into these businesses, Mm. you know, and there's a lot of stuff that gets thrown against you. And if you don't, then you know it, it. You may want to look at other things or something that you you will be that way about. Because um, I like I still love and enjoy what I do, and I obviously I've worked very hard to get where I am. But I you know I'm blessed that I get to do something that I love and enjoy, and not many people can say that. And uh, but I'm only here because of that passion and drive. And so I look at kids, and I'll, my advice to everyone is. If it's whatever you want to do, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, the profession, it could be whatever profession, whatever you find a love and an interest in is, is pursue that, you know, cause you want to be able to do something in your life that you enjoy. It just so happened that I enjoyed this and I, I would have done this regardless, you know, had, had I been, I don't know what up the hell else I would have done, but, sure. <laughs> um, you know, if I was the you know, manager at a movie theater. I would still be doing this at night. You know, I would be doing makeups on myself or whatever. So, um, and today's a very different day and age. I mean, the business has changed. The, you know, society has changed. You know, um, you know the, the 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 stuff that's available for you know this generation, technology and everything is so more much more than we ever had. Um, it's a whole new world. So. I, you know, if I was me now, you know, that if I was a younger person now, it's like, I may be doing YouTube videos and I, I, you know, I, it, it might, I might not be going in the direction I went, but, um, I was at a perfect time for my career. Definitely. And obviously you grew up loving, I believe it's seven time Oscar winner, Rick Baker, and he became a bit of a mentor for you. If you were searching for your own you know people in your department to look after in that way they've got to look in their eye of wanting to be another rick baker another bill corso what is that thing about them that makes them different well i i don't know if i i could ever be mentioned in the same breath as rick baker myself <laughs> um uh you know it's funny uh you know he to to hear him talk you know he 
idolized a, a, a makeup artist by the name of Dick Smith. You know, that was his aspiration was to be somebody someday like that makeup artist. And then he, you know, he collaborated with, with him when he was a kid and he sent letters to him and, and Dick brought him on as a, as a, you know, an assistant on the exorcist Wow, you know, and, and helped him out on a, on a few movies that Dick did, you know, and that started Rick's career. And ever since then that had been his, he was his mentor and his inspiration. So much like uh, Rick to Dick Smith, like that was what Rick was to me, you know, but my generation in that time was where it all really kicked into high gear. And whereas Rick and maybe five people were inspired and became, you know, uh, um, disciples of Dick Smith, you know, Rick had, there were hundreds of us <laughs> that were, uh, you know, worshiping him and what he had done. Cause you know, he also did movies that were like, he did Star Wars, the Cantina sequence, you know, and American World from London, like, like movies that were watershed moments in you know, our particular little um, career. And, you know, times have changed, you know, so I was part of that, that gen, this, that generation where all of a sudden during the eighties, when I was coming up and I was just starting to get out of high school and get into the business where there were a lot of those movies being made and, uh, and, it, and a lot of those movies focused on that type of work. Um, and so it was a really exciting time. It was the perfect time to be getting into a business where there were, it was, it was utilizing those type of effects and, and celebrating it and the people doing it, Rick and Stan Winston and, you know, Tom Berman and Rob Bottin. And there's these makeup artists became celebrities like pseudo rock stars, you know, because they, they were just their name on a movie made it a popular movie. You know, like they, they, um, they became a selling point for the film. And, and so that was my school, you know, um, whereas nowadays it's different, you know, now with computers and technology, it's a, it's a whole different world now, you know, it's, um, uh, the same rules don't apply. You know, it's a different, it's a whole different time. So um, it's a, it, that's a, it's a tricky question to ask or a tr tricky question to answer, you know, it being so different now. Absolutely. And thank you for your insight. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back to talk about the hits. So you soon moved into large scale blockbusters like Amistad, are there any marked differences for the makeup department between those smaller shows and the larger studio pictures? And what was your first Spielberg experience like? That first Spielberg experience was, um, was probably the hardest job I've ever done. Um, at the time, I, was, I, had, I had fallen in with one, another one of my uh, um, uh, idols, you know, a makeup artist that became a, quite a, an amazing mentor to me by the name of V Neal, uh, three-time Academy Award winner V Neal. And, and, um, and V had done, you know, uh, the Batman movies and, and she won an Oscar for Miss Doubtfire and for Ed Wood and mm. um, uh, just, just, and Beetlejuice, you know, an, an, an amazing artist. And, and so, and she was somebody that I, um, I wanted to pattern my career after. I mean, she was a great makeup artist. You know, she would, uh, she didn't necessarily work in the lab, uh, which is where I started and then realized maybe this wasn't the place for me, but she was, you know, concentrated on set and would do great movies and would create these very memorable characters. Um, and I'm like, well, that's kind of what I want to do. So I finally got in with her and she started to bring me with her on movies. Um, and of course they were all amazing, big, fun movies. And Amistad was, we had just finished Batman and Robin together and she had asked me to do Amistad with her and she went, we went right into that. Um, and so I couldn't, 
think of anything more exciting. Obviously, Spielberg was one of my favorite directors, and and that was an amazing, you know, uh, prospect. But I wasn't prepared, and I'd been in the business for a while, <laughs> but I I really wasn't prepared for that level of of uh, of um, de- uh, uh, commitment and focus on a movie. Uh, you know, I learned. I can't even tell you how much I learned on that movie just by watching him and and understanding how he works and how he expects his crew to work. And um, uh, it was it was very hard to say the least. Um, mm. uh, but I did I did I did I came out of that experience with uh, uh, just a newfound understanding of of how to keep cool during you know under pressure and um, come up with stuff. I mean, I'd always prided myself on being able to come up with stuff out of thin air, but that movie really put it to the test because <laughs> yeah. I was the one person in charge on set and overseeing everything for V and a lot was on my shoulders and, um, and working directly, uh, with Steven, although, um, uh, you know, I was just, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was in the way most of the time, <laughs> <laughs> which I discovered not to be. Um, but again, it was part of that learning learning curve. Um, and you know what I found is, I mean, look, I've been on very small movies that were incredibly complicated and were very involved. And I've been on big movies that, no matter how huge it is, uh, it's a it's an easy it's easy. You know, it's a well oiled machine. You know, um, and obviously, I've been on the on the opposite. You know, I've been on uh, small movies that were like a cakewalk, and and it was like a breeze going to work. And I've been on big movies that were like a, a runaway train. <laughs> so so much of it depends on the production team you know uh i've i've found that the the size of the budget doesn't really matter you know i've seen i've seen you know 100 million dollar 200 million dollar movies being run like a, a tiny little movie and i vice versa you know that's really cool i read that back in those days you used to keep a little bit of a journal from your days on set if there was ever a book or something that you wrote would there be one set story that you would have to include from your career Probably a bad one, I imagine. Something that went terribly wrong. I don't. Well, God, there's so, there's so many. It's interesting. I think back. There was a point on a film I remember very specifically that we were, my, uh, um, uh, another makeup artist and I, and again being fans, you know, we were talking with an actor, and that, uh, and, and it wasn't an actor. It was another makeup artist, and me and this other younger makeup artist were just sitting there with our, you know. In, enthralled by the older makeup artist that was working with us, a very famous older makeup artist who is telling us all these tales of, you know, mo- doing movies in the, in the 30s and 40s and the 50s and all the famous people and all these cr- stopping fights, you know, and all these crazy tall tales. And, and uh, we're like, you should write a book. I mean, this is amazing. Like, you know, you know, you got to keep these stories alive, you know. Um, and I remember looking at my friend going like, isn't it sad? that we're not going to have these stories like, cause that that's a time that's long gone. And I, you know, I'm not going to have stories about, you know, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford fighting over me, (laughs) you know, like, you know, some amazing tales that this guy would tell. And, and it was, and I I was like, no, that's, that's unfortunate. That time is gone. Now looking back some 25 years later, um, uh, I, I have some of those stories. I mean, there's been, so many things that have happened on movies that were like, oh my God, what an amazing, <laughs> what an amazing adventure this has been, you know? Um, and, and it seems like every movie there's something and, and good and bad, you know, I mean, I've, I've been in situations where I'm like, I gotta remember this moment because as, as horrible or as wonderful as it is, 
to look back on this is going to be amazing. And, and, and they are, my, my worry is my memory. Cause you know, you, you, there's sometimes there's so many, or you just forget them. And sometimes the only time they come up or either conversations like this, or if you're looking at a photo or something just jogs your memory about an actor or something, you go, Oh my God. Like, you know, I was, I was, um, I was listening to a podcast and I was just loving this, this one podcast and loving this at one actor talking and, and, you know, I'm like, God, that's so great. I wish I could work with that guy. And all of a sudden, like one day I came across a photo of him and I, and I'm like, Oh my God, I did work with that guy. (laughs) And it was such a small little thing and I'd forgotten about it. And then, but seeing the photo just brought the whole day back to me. And I was like, Oh my God, that's right. That was amazing. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot. I hope you're enjoying Red Carpet Rookies. If you'd like to support the show, you can get a two-month free trial of Skillshare, the Netflix of online courses, with the link in the podcast show notes. You can learn from topics including filmmaking, Photoshop, music production, and hundreds more. If you fancy yourself as a scriptwriter, you could even check out my beginner's course for professional screenwriting software, Final Draft. It was, of course, your collaboration with Jim Carrey on Let Me Snick It's Unfortunate Events that won you your Oscar. Was that always a goal you had in mind from your dreamy younger days? Monster? I Okay, so the Academy Awards, um, until the 80s, it didn't have a category for makeup. And uh, there was never a set category. They had given two special achievement Oscars uh, only ever for makeup. And one... The first one was for Planet of the Apes, um, which was a special achievement Oscar because uh, it, it was groundbreaking at the time, rightfully so. And then they gave a special achievement Oscar to The Seven Faces of Dr. Lau, which was also an amazing you know, uh, movie and makeup history. I mean, if they had any sense, but the Academy was, was, uh, it was just infantile in its beginnings, they would have given one to The Wizard of Oz, obviously, you know, but, but they didn't. <laughs> And so there never was a real Oscar for makeup until 1981. And the the only two nominees were um, uh, American Werewolf in London and Heartbeeps uh, were the only two nominees. Um, You look back on it and 1981 was an amazing movie. Had that year happened now with the Oscars the way they are now, there would have been five nominees in a heartbeat. But back then there were two movies. And I... That I was right in a sweet spot. You know, I was a teenager. I was obsessed with makeup and special effects. I was obsessed with Rick Baker. I knew everything about heartbeats. And, and so even without social media, even without cell phones, even without computers and researching, I had my, you know, my famous Monsters magazine or my Fangoria or, you know, you know, m- magazines that celebrated makeup artists and that celebrated those movies. And so on that Oscar night with that and the announcement of that special Academy Award for makeup, that this was going to be the very first year that it was going to be given out. You know, I sat there at my house with my parents and watching and, and like, you know, and then Rick won and then he went up and gave his speech. And, uh, and I just remember thinking like, I'm going to do that. I'm absolutely going to win an Academy Award. Just, mm. I just told myself flat out. I said, I don't know when, but I'm going to do that. <laughs> Um, and you know, it's just, again, it it, like you open it, you just, you just think a thought and you put it away and you go, okay, yeah, that's gonna, that's gonna happen. And you know, I mean, who does that? I I mean, I later discovered many people, you know, um, there are many famous stories throughout, uh, you know, um, entertainment history of an actor or, uh, a celebrity or somebody or famous, you know, anybody 
you know, um, uh, any member of history saying, I'm going to make a change, I'm going to do something, I'm going to achieve some sort of uh, greatness. You know, Jim Carrey and I uh, share that amazing story where Jim, I wish I had done this, but Jim wrote uh, himself a check when he was homeless, living out of his van, and he wrote himself a check for $10 million. And, uh, and it's a famous story. So he wrote himself a check for, one million, uh, for $10 million, and it was to Jim Carrey for acting services rendered. Now, he had no career. Again, he was an out-of-work stand-up living out of his van, right? Incredible. And he had, he had moved down to LA from Toronto. And he dated it 10 years from that date. And the week before that check was due, he um, uh, I get choked up thinking about it. He was the first actor awarded $20 million for The Cable Guy. What a story. Yeah. First actor ever. Um, Amazing. It's an amazing story. It was a, it's a, he just, he just created his own prophecy, you know, his self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and, you know, there's such a thing as if there are books out about, you know, like the, the, um, um, uh, oh my God, what's the name of it? Um, or there's a bunch of books out <laughs> uh, about it. It'll come to me, but uh, we'll find him. he created a, a talisman, you know, and, and he just kept it with him. You know, there's a photograph of it online, you know, and he kept it in his wallet and, you know, there's, there's so many stories like that, you know, um, and he shares a birthday with, I always thought this was really cool too. Um, he shares a birthday with Muhammad Ali and Muhammad Ali, if, if, you know, I, and I loved Muhammad Ali when I was a little kid, but Muhammad Ali, before he was anybody, you know, when he was Cassius Clay and he was just a, a boxer starting out, you know, he still would tell everybody he's going to be the greatest fighter who ever lived, you know? And it's like, who says that? Like, that's pretty audacious yeah. <laughs> to say it. So, you know, when you hear about that stuff and here I am, a, a, you know, a lonely little kid, you know, in my room saying, I'm going to win an Academy Award. There are all these other people did similar things. And then one day it happens and you're like, oh my God, how did this happen? And you realize I made this happen. You know, I just put it out there into the universe. And Jim's very big on that. He goes, put it out there into the ether, you know, and then yeah. it'll, and if you just go for it, it'll happen, you know, so it's kind of amazing. Given you get, and that's what an amazing answer and what a great story. And obviously you guys have had a great collaboration over the years with various styles and we've spoken about some of your realistic makeup creations. I'd like to talk about some more modern styles as well because you designed recently the digital makeup for Sonic the Hedgehog. And looking forward, do you think there'll ever be a future where digital makeup is the norm or will in-camera realism always rule? Well, I'll, I'll have to, I'll correct you quickly. Um, Please do. I didn't do, I actually didn't do anything. Um, well, no, that's not true. That's not true. I'll back that up. Um, what I did do on Sonic the Hedgehog was, uh, what's happening a lot these days, which is I've noticed, I've noticed in the past decade or so that, you know, there, as we, as we roll more things into post-production and more things into the digital world that, that they're slowly but surely doing more makeup type things you know they'll they'll fix makeups that were not done correctly or didn't have time to be done correctly or they'll augment them or they'll change them completely and and never with the uh, advice or experience of a makeup artist you know they'll they're always being done by a technician in post production however talented is not a makeup artist and i would see these things and it would always catch my eye and and sometimes uh, it it um it's it, it creates the it's the crime of taking you out of the movie when something's done badly. I mean, it's it's for us as a makeup artist. You don't want to do a bad makeup and take somebody out of the movie. That's my fear whenever I create a character. Mm. It's like you don't want to create something that r stops the movie dead. Um, and so 
the digital conversation came up years ago when I started seeing more and more digital stuff happening um, and, and, and an overlap of things that we would have done normally. It started with blood and guts stuff, like effects stuff. It, you know, is used to be the, you know, one of the fun, you know, um, things that a makeup department got to do is like somebody got killed and you would figure out a really all the Friday the 13th movies, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, how are we going to fix the ax to her head, you know? And, so, and, um, you know, I'd like, I, I learned all that stuff when I was starting out, you know, and it was so great. Like, you know, the arrow and, the <laughs> um, and they're, and they're magic tricks, you know, it's like, you're part of our, the fun of our job was creating all these magic tricks, you know, and, and they were real. And they were on set and you could see them and react to them. And, um, you know, I'm going to figure out a way to cut this guy's throat, you know, and, and uh, it's awesome. And everybody's going to ooh and ah on set. Um, but all of a sudden, a funny thing happened. Like they figured out how to do it digitally. The technology caught up. And then and then guess what? You know, you didn't have to wait two hours to put a, an appliance on, a prosthetic on. And you didn't have to you know, uh, do wait an hour to, you know, or half an hour to clean all the blood off and change the wardrobe and go back to set. And, you know, they could just, you know, shoot nothing and just add it later, you know, and you could just keep shooting. It was efficient, but that took, not only did it take the fun out of it, it, you know, it took a lot of, you know, money out of people's pockets, you know, cause that was our job. And so I st- I worked on a movie where there was a lot of that and, and it it was sad to me to see it all go to digital, and I and I was like, God, darn it! And so I made a deal with and uh, the the post production digital effects guys who were very lovely, and I said, you know, I don't suppose I could help you with that stuff. I mean, I'm 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 quite good at that stuff. I've obviously done it a lot and researched it. I might be able to help and make it look really cool. And and they saw the value in that, which was which was you know really great of them. And uh, involved me and we did a lot of stuff together and I saw how it all worked and, and saw how I could be involved and, and the director of the movie loved that I was involved. And, and I think I would argue the work was better because of it. Um, Mm. and ever since then I've tried to be involved and, but what I found out is, and, and, you know, you, you being in post-production and visual effects and a lot of other people that, that do this, you know, they're, it's 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 such a large large field with so many talented people and 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 there's a there's an attitude sometimes of we can do it and we'll probably do it better <laughs> um, and we've seen what you guys have done and maybe it's not so great but we'll make it great you know and that, yeah. and I respect that and it is wonderful and so much possibility is there to make things better because let's face it you can sit there and tweak and paint and make it perfect in visual effects whereas on set you got an actor who doesn't want to sit in your chair. You've got a director who doesn't want to wait. You've got a DP who d- refuses to light things anymore the way they want to because they'll just fix it later in post. And so, so much of our job, the magic trick of our job relies on the collaboration of everybody else. And nowadays, nobody has time. You know, they all want to rush and, and do it and they can fix it later. So I realized that in order to um, combat that, I needed to join it. And, and get more involved. So, you know, I, I literally started a company that would offer makeup artists the opportunity to get more involved and to, mm. and to oversee their work and actually be, you know, involved in the art direction of it. And that's, I think, made for some really great work, you know, and, and hopefully will help us in the future. Definitely. In a wider sense, is there anything about the industry that you would like to change? Look, the, the wonderful thing about our industry is that it's a collaborative medium you know um i think 
uh, it's an interesting time right now because you know with with uh, COVID and the whole the whole way the industry is kind of now rethinking what it does. You know, it used to be that you know there there are all these there were all these houses that would do, let's say, visual effects. And so much of what we do now is being punted to visual effects because they're afraid of having a lot of people on set or they're trying to mitigate, you know, contact with people. And, um, and so, you know, like things are being pushed off to visual effects. And it used to be that, you know, you'd have ILM and, and Weta and all these huge facilities with, you know, hundreds, thousands of, of technicians at computers and everything. Well, nowadays you've got the, all those technicians are at home, <laughs> and they're all working out of their homes virtually, and they're and they're all working up in the cloud. And you know what used to be top secret, and and nobody could see anything. Now everybody's just on their own. So I think the industry has shifted and and is changing and and evolving. And I think with that uh, will come more change. I think the way we make movies is going to evolve, and um, and that's very exciting. I just want to make sure that we we remain part of it, which is another reason why I'm uh, fighting to to kind of embrace and 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 um, keep part of that part of the business because I'd hate to see you know we we being on the front line you know we're the closest people you know to and and the 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 single industry that could be affected the most you know the makeup and hair departments um, and so uh, I think it's you know it's a it's a it's a matter of embracing that technology so. Um, uh, and 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 using it, utilizing it, you know, to to not only keep our jobs, but to also um, maybe do better work and maybe do more um, uh, interesting work and and open possibilities, you know, for actors and uh, for an actor to be anything they want to be in a movie and and um, you know maybe without all the physical you know uh, you know uh, difficulties that that uh, a real thing does, but you know maybe we're as you know digitally. There's, it opens up, it presents more opportunities for them and for a movie. Well, I think that progressive mindset is definitely the way to go about it. I know that you're on a show at the moment for a department that are so intimately involved with the cast. How are you dealing with the COVID difficulties? Well, I think right now, you know, everybody's so nervous and tentative uh, about about not wanting anything to get worse, you know, and and to mitigate again, you know, any possibility of of something going wrong you know because nobody wants to take that chance so the the way the industry excuse me the way the industry is is working is let's just treat everybody as if they're sick <laughs> you know the the actor's sick you the makeup <laughs> artist is sick the entire production is yeah. sick, and let's do everything we can to you know um uh kind of protect everybody, you know, by taking every safety precaution, by taking, you know, all the PPE, every, anything we can do to, um, to do our job and keep everybody healthy and safe. And, you know, you add on top of that, you're probably not going to be doing the job if you're sick or if you've been around somebody sick. So you're, you're already starting out with knowing everybody's probably, I mean, I used to go to, if I had a sniffles or a bad allergy or I had a cough or was getting kind of cold, I would still go to work. In our business, you know, I used to joke, I could be bleeding out of my eyes. I still have to go to work because the jobs, the show must go on, right? <laughs> but now if you've got like a, a little, you know, allergies or a tickle, you, you shouldn't go to work because it's going to freak everybody out. So everybody that's been on a job that I've been on has been really healthy <laughs> because nobody wants to take that chance. <clears throat> and then you put on top of that, that we're all taking the precautions. It's, it's a lot of effort. 
it takes, it adds a lot to your process. You know, it's, it's no longer just about, I mean, and, and as makeup and hair artists, we're probably the cleanest people on set anyway. I mean, we have to be, you know, we have to be sanitary. We have to take care of our actors. We, you know, we're protecting the actors anyway, you know, in a movie, we can't let them get sick, you know, um, probably the most sanitary people on any film. Uh, so now it's like, we, you know, we ratchet that way up. Now everybody has to come up to our level. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. And I'm glad that things are going ahead. We'll be back after the break to have our last little questionnaire with Bill Corso. So lastly, on Red Carpet Rookies, I like to do my version of the In the Actors Studio James Lipton questionnaire. It's quick fire, Bill. So just say whatever comes first into your head. Are you ready? I'm all good. I'll do my best. Okay. Number one, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, don't, uh, don't let anything get in your way. Just push forward. You know, no matter how bad things get, um, just know that everything happens for a reason. And sometimes the worst things that happen to you, um, could turn out to be one of the best things that happens to you. And, and that's, that was huge. Amazing. Number two, do you have a favorite film? Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. Number three, <laughs> what gives you a reason to get out of bed every day for an early call time? I love what I do. It's easy. Um, and I do not like to get up early. So I must love what I do. <laughs> <laughs> you must. Now, number four is normally from the real In the Actors Studio questionnaire, which is what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? But for you, I know that's not going to be the answer. So I've come <laughs> up with another one for you. All right. I, I noticed somewhere in an interview, you mentioned that every makeup artist's dream is to do presidents or monkeys. And you obviously got to do Brian Cranston as Lyndon Johnson. Do you have a figure from history who would be your dream figure to create? It would probably be uh, one of the original monsters like Frankenstein would be really fun. Mm. Cool. Number five, what general profession would you never like to do? Um, probably plumber like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Number six, if you could work with one person living or dead, who would it be? Um, You've worked with most of them, Bill. I've worked with most of them. Um, that's a tricky one. Uh, it would have been really fun to work with Abbott and Costello because I was such a big fan. Number seven, what is a book that you think everyone should read? Princess Bride. William Goldman, very good choice. Now, finally, I normally ask, if you won an Oscar, who would you thank? But for you, of course, Bill, I must ask, when you won your Oscar, who did you thank and why? That's an excellent question. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Um, I was the lucky winner of the year where they asked the winners to accept in the aisle. I saw. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get to go up on stage and it kind of threw me. And I also shared my time with... Um, uh, with the with the makeup artist who was with me, and I didn't get to finish my list. So, you know, without doubt, most importantly, I would thank my family and my wife who puts up with everything and who, you know, like a muse, inspires me. You know, with everything I do, and 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 that's a that's a big one because you know I I um you know sometimes the people closest to us are the ones that get forgotten, right? You know, we thank the crew, we thank you know the actors and the directors and um. Uh, you know, the, the, the inspiration material, you know, but, but there's nothing that I do that I don't filter through the people around me, you know, my kids and my wife and, um, and that family that, 
inspired you and propelled you forward to do what you do. So, you know, when you get to that point and you, you get some acclaim or, or some kind of achievement, you know, I think that's the only reason you're there is because of them. And, you know, it's great that the, that the show is the vehicle, but, but they're the reason you're there. Right. Um, and so that, that, and that I, I, I'm sad that I never got to that point. <laughs> um, but I can only say that I will win again. And I, that will be the first thing I say. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll just get it out of the way off the top. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me today, Bill. Your positivity is contagious and I loved having you on the show. I look forward to seeing you win that next Oscar. Oh, my pleasure, Mike. I look forward to it. We'll do it again. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Red Carpet Rookies. To keep updated, you can follow Red Carpet Rookies on Instagram and Facebook, RC Rookies Pod on Twitter, or contact us at redcarpetrookies at gmail.com. And please do subscribe or drop us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store, on your iPhone, or online if you're an Android user. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.